Having several police officers in our church has always been a special blessing, but uh, I really took notice of uh, an article, a true story that I read this week. There was a cop um, who was sitting there whenever all of a sudden the car went flying by and he figures somebody, you know, maybe late for work or whatever, but the speed was such that he took off, he stopped him. And he didn't have any idea that this fellow had just robbed a store. He had the bag of money there in the seat and he had his pistol in his lap. The officer walked up to his window and just started to ask him, for his driver's license when the fellow took the pistol, stuck it right out against his chest and fired. The cop fell to the ground. But all of a sudden, to this guy's amazement, he popped right back up with his gun in his hand, fired two times, wounded this guy, and the thief starts screaming, don't shoot, don't shoot, I give up. Every cop here can already figure out what happened. There was one thing that saved that, that cop. It's made out of Kevlar and it's that bulletproof vest. Had it not been for that, there would have been another cop killer on the loose. If you're a Christian, you need to understand, and I think you do, that you are under attack. Turn over in your Bibles to the book of Ephesians chapter number 6, where we've been for several weeks now. In our study concerning spiritual warfare, we've talked about the armor of God, and we've already spoken about the need for truth, and righteousness, and peace. But today we're going to speak about the shield, and make no mistake about it, you're being assaulted by an adversary. We don't realize that. The first 24 years of my life, I had no idea that I wasn't in control. I thought I was in control of my life. I can remember when Bev and I got married, being the stupid jerk that I was, I made the statement that when I decide I want to go hunting or fishing, I'm going, to, I'm going to go. I'm not going to be asking your permission. I'm just going to go. I'll tell you I'm going, I'm going. You know, needn't arguing about it. That was my attitude. That's the kind of jerk she married. It's a miracle that she stuck with me all of these years and still at my side. But, uh, but I thought I was in control. Kind of makes you feel good whenever you think you're in control. Until all of a sudden you realize something's controlling you. I'll never forget looking in the mirror, not to comb my hair, but looking in the mirror after a terrible hangover, wondering, is this all there is to life? I had no idea that I was being controlled by satanic powers. And let me tell you something, you might not be a druggie, you might not be an alcoholic, you might not be a whoremonger, 
You might not be any of those bad things that we could mention, but if you've never received Christ as your Savior, you are out of control because the Bible says of those that are lost, we're taken captive by the devil at his will. And he doesn't care whether you go to hell from a, from a church pew or a bar stool. In fact, sometimes he can get folks in hell a lot quicker from a church pew than he can in a, in a bar room. And understand, if you are a Christian, and I think you've already got this figured out, you know you are being assaulted, you're under attack. Because for every good that you would do, all of a sudden you find, you find something within you that, that wants you to do otherwise. Satan brings against us accusations Remember, he is the accuser. And every time we slip, he wants to convince us that we're through with God and God's through with us. It's all over. You've made a mess of your life. He accuses us. He's an adversary who will resist us in whatever we try to do. He will attract your attention in order to distract you from what's most important. He, he will cause you to be angry when when you shouldn't be, and the list can go on and on and on. Thinking about that cop that survived the shooting, I, uh, it was, I think, a couple of months ago, I mentioned Major John Sedgwick there at the Battle of Spotsylvania where, it was, you know, they were behind this embankment and had prepared there to have this barrier between them and the, and the Confederates, and... Uh, he was standing up trying to look out there, and his own men kept telling him, Sir, you've got to get down, you've got to get down. And he made that silly statement. He said, They couldn't hit an elephant at this, this. That's as far as he got before the bullet struck him and killed him. And whenever we talk about Satan attacking us, you better believe that it's real and ignoring that threat will lead to your destruction. Paul says in Ephesians chapter number 6, verse 16, Above all, taking the shield of faith wherewith you shall be able to quench all of the fiery darts of the wicked. Now here we see him speaking about the soldier's shield. And those of you that have been in this study during this time, you realize that Paul is... In prison, he sees the Roman soldiers, he's seen them before and all that he has gone through, and the Holy Spirit is urging him, I want you to use this particular article of the armor to illustrate a spiritual truth. And in this case, it has to do with that, with that shield. He's not speaking about the small shield that they would wear on the arm. It's a large shield. It was about two and a half feet wide, about four and a half feet high, historians tell us. And so he's speaking about something that is basically going to cover the entirety of, of, of the body, something that they can get behind, something that's going to ward off those fiery missiles that's being shot against them. Now, there's a lot of confusion about this, and I had intended to go into some depths about the confusion because there are those that have made a big issue out of distinguishing between the first P 
pieces of armor where he talks about, you know, having, and then the others where he speaks about, you know, putting these on. And they make a big deal out of that meaning two different things and that we already are equipped in some areas but not equipped in other areas. But to me, that's total confusion because it says here, put on what? The whole armor of God. So that's an illegitimate argument there. And then secondly, they argue when it says above all that this is more important than anything else when in reality that particular phrase, the Greek word there has to do with something that is covering all. It's something that is superimposition is what they would call it. It's not saying that this is more important than any of the other pieces. It's saying that it's basically something that is added to what you already have. So every piece of the armor is something that we need. So this morning we're going to speak about three things concerning this shield. What it is. It's the shield of faith. As I said, it's made out of wood, sometimes metal, but the original was out of wood. They put layers of leather on there to protect them every possible way. But here he says it's the, the shield of faith. You think about faith and maybe you're one of those that have said, well, I, you know, I just don't get this faith stuff. I've, I've got I've to see it to believe it. Well, the truth of it is you've got to believe it to see it. I, I mean, that's the way you see it. Faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. It brings to reality things that you cannot see. So it's not a matter of whether you see it or not. It's a matter of whether you have faith that you trust. Well, I can never become a Christian because I'm not one that'll just believe, you know, all of this, all of this stuff and just take it by faith. I, I want to see all of the evidence. Seems strange to me that you say that, and yet you have faith. You have faith in your banker, right? You take your money down there and you put it in the bank, and you have faith that it's going to be there when when you want it. You can just write out a check or nowadays, whatever it is y'all do with the phones. Yeah, I, my wife, she, she, she can figure that out, you know. You're going to make a payment and get on the phone to do it. I, I, I couldn't pay anything on the phone. I don't have a clue how you do that. But you're trusting the bank with all of your money. You get a runny nose and you go to the doctor and ask him what's wrong and, you know, he prescribes some kind of medicine and you go to, down to the pharmacy, you've never met the pharmacist in your life. They could be a serial killer and you wouldn't know it. And he gives you a bottle of medicine with a name that you can't even pronounce. Somebody asked me, what medicines am I taking? I don't know. I can't pronounce them. I, I'm just trusting the trusting the, the doctor and my wife and my kids to make sure I take the right thing. But I have faith that that'll work when you get on an airplane. Anybody here that's ever flown one of those big commercial, I mean, you've flown it? Oh, you've flown in it, yeah. Uh, you, you get there and we don't know how to fly a plane. We get back there and 
get all comfy in the seat and pick up a magazine, begin to read, and we're just certain, we're so certain we're going to get there. We already made reservations, you know, for uh, a hotel or with family or whatever, and we, we just depend on the pilot. You don't know whether you're going to make it or not, but you've got faith that that's going to work out. I'll never forget the first time I ever flew in a plane. I was working for a civil engineering firm, and 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 they they had a high dollar four engine plane and uh, or, or four seat plane. And uh, the first time or two, I thought, I don't know if I'm going to like this or not. And finally, I figured out how you deal with this. You go to sleep. I got in trouble for that. My boss was four of us, and I was in the back seat sitting next to the to the client, the guy with all the money that we were working for. And so we take off, and I just go to sleep. I didn't want to see the clouds or the ground or anything else. I went to sleep. After we got on the ground, my boss said, come here, I want to talk to you. He said, how dare you go to sleep? I put you back there so you can befriend this guy we need his business and what do you do you go to sleep well i was just trusting him to get us there you, you see we all have faith it's the object of our faith that really makes the difference Amen. and he's talking here about the shield of faith he's talking about our faith in god it's not faith in faith by the way because a lot of folks got this this positive thinking. They've written so many books about it. They have seminars about it. You know, if you can think it, you can believe it, or you can become whatever you think, you know. Positive thinking. Norman Vincent Peale wrote that book, The Power of Positive Thinking. Oh, that's just faith in faith. You know, maybe you're one of those that you say, well, I've just got a positive attitude. I think everything's going to turn out all right. Well, it might or it might not. You, you, you just don't know. But with faith in God, it makes all of the difference in the world. So that's what we're talking about. We're talking about a shield of faith. And naturally, that brings up the next thought, and that is, why is that something that we need? Notice he says, wherewith ye shall be able. And you know, that tells me that otherwise you wouldn't be able, Right? that ye may be able, it doesn't say we're already able, you may be able to quench all of the fiery darts of the wicked. By the way, that word wicked there means hurtful or evil, and over in 2 John, it's used of Satan himself, the wicked one. So here he's talking about Satan, the fiery darts of the wicked, that is, of the devil, the wicked one. He's personal. He's persistent and perpetual in his efforts to drag us down fiery darts. In those days, they would take their arrows and they would tie a rag or something around the end of the arrow and they would put some kind of pitch on it or something, set it on fire and shoot that at them. You see, that was a... uh, Maybe the first kind of Molotov cocktail. Because when it hit, it splattered. There's fire. And if they're over there in the brush, you know, or whatever, and they go to shooting at them, and you can only imagine what if it hits the flesh and that 
that pitch or that tire is spread all over their body and burning. And These are the fiery darts that he's speaking about from the standpoint of the soldiers in battle in that day. But when we talk about the fiery darts of the devil, we're not talking about literal arrows and so on and so forth. And mark it down that these fiery darts that he's speaking of can come at you any time from any direction. You might be praying. Maybe it doesn't happen to anybody else, but just the other day I, I was praying and all of a sudden I can't remember what I was thinking about. I can't remember what I had for breakfast, but, but all of a sudden I was thinking about something that totally unrelated, not just to the subject I was praying about, didn't have anything to do with God. And I just stopped and apologized and just, Lord, forgive me. I don't know how my mind got off on that, on that thought. Listen, it can happen while you're praying. It can happen while you're reading your Bible. It can happen while you're witnessing to someone. Here you are sitting there. You've got the Bible open in front of you and you're maybe reading the scriptures to them. And all of a sudden your mind is wandering way out there somewhere. Those are the fiery darts that he is shooting against us and it might be some haunting doubts. He loves to make us doubt. I mean, you go all the way back to the Garden of Eden, and what does he do? He creates an attitude of doubt. Hath God said? Are you sure that's what God really said? Try to instill doubt in your mind. And he does the same thing today. That's one of his arrows that he used it might be some hideous thought. You don't have to have a you don't have to have some pornography in your hand for you to have some kind of a hideous thought, something so vile, so filthy or whatever. You say, Oh, that's never happened to me. Well, we'll have one down here to alter later. Because if you're a human being, there's sometime you've had some kind of some kind of a hideous thought that should have never entered into your mind, and it did. Boy, it really gets quiet when we talk about something, stuff like that. Might have been something where you, by hideous, had nothing to do with sexual. It might have something to do with you just wishing evil upon someone. I wish to God they would die. There are people that that it felt like that. I can't stand that person. They make me sick. I, I mean, the list goes on and on and on of things that, that Satan plants in our mind. Those are the fiery darts. And if he can get us to doubt the Word of God, he can get us to make wrong decisions and adopt heretical ideas, that is, false doctrine, he can lead us down a path that totally contrary to what the Word of God teaches. And I mention all of this because, listen, there's no limit to what Satan will do in order to destroy our lives. Nobody can escape temptation. You'll never get so spiritual that you'll get beyond temptation.
The devil even tried it on Christ. You'll remember that. And faith in God is the only defense that you've got against that. Over in 1 John chapter 5, he talks about that, that we overcome. Well, how? We're overcomers by faith. And by the way, we ought to be overcomers. We ought to get sick and tired of the devil getting the advantage of us and using us for some reason contrary to the purpose of God in our life. But without that faith in God, that shield of faith, I'm going to tell you, you're doomed. I'm doomed without that shield of faith. Now quickly, let me give you four things about how this works. Number one, faith pleases God. That's why we need it. Satan's trying to destroy us. Our defense against him is faith in God. Hebrews chapter number 11 tells us that without faith it's impossible to please God. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is and that he's a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. You know, we shouldn't need any other reason. Now, there are other reasons why we need this faith in God. But why should should we need anything else other than the fact that this is what it takes to please God? That ought to be the most important thing in our life, is glorifying God. That's the purpose for which man was created, the purpose for which we exist. That's why you're here today. Otherwise, God would just grab you by the hair of the head if you got any, and He'd take you up to heaven. It's nice up there, wonderful in heaven. Wouldn't have to ever get sick again, none of that. But God has you here for a reason, and that reason, all summed up, that reason is for you to live in a way that will bring honor and glory to God. That's our purpose in being here. And without faith, we have already failed, regardless of what else we do. Without that faith in God, we're going to fail. But not only does it please God, it procures hope. Actually, you could say that hope is, is faith looking forward. It's looking at the future. We're, we're talking about this confidence, this trust that we have in God. And boy, I'll tell you, if, uh, if ever we needed hope, it's today. Can you imagine soldiers being sent off into battle without any hope? We're up against an enemy. Load your guns. Here we go. We're out now numbered a thousand to one. There's no chance that we're going to return. But we're just going to march out there and have at it. If we live, we live. If we die, we die. I mean, that'd be pretty hard knowing that. We don't have any hope. And you know, if we're not careful, sometimes it gets that way in our life. That we get so defeated, so depressed, so disappointed with life itself, that we just kind of lose all hope. And the only way that we can live with the help of hope is faith in God. Over in Romans in chapter number four, it speaks about, it speaks about Abraham. Now, 
you're familiar with the story. Abraham is old. He's about 100. Sarah is old. God says, I'm going to give you a child and uh, going to make of that child a great and a mighty nation. None of that seems likely at all, does it? In fact, it seems impossible. You know, how, how could that happen? Now remember, this is God speaking to him. Verse 19 says, And being not weak in faith. Thank God for that. He's not weak in faith. He considered not his own body now dead. Wait a minute. If it's dead, why not consider it? If his body, his ability to reproduce, if it's gone, why not just count it done? It's, it's over. We'll never have a child. He didn't even consider that fact. When it was about a hundred years old, neither yet the deadness of Sarah's womb. And get this, he staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strong in faith, giving glory to God and being fully persuaded. I love that. Fully persuaded that what he had promised he was able also to perform. That's faith. That's what we're talking about. That kind of faith that regardless of the situation, regardless of your desperation, that there is hope. And remember, faith is something that is based on the Word of God. So it's not just this pie-in-the-sky religion. It's not something that you're just hoping for the best and you're going to wing it and hope it works out. His faith was based on what God said. And we as believers, if we have the shield of faith, whatever Satan throws against us, we can have hope. Thank God for that. And we can please God. Thirdly, faith provides courage. I just jotted down Hebrews chapter 11. I don't need to say any more than that. You, You look at that. Look at that list of those heroes of the faith, men and women. Those great heroes of the faith who against all odds believe God and accomplish great things. And let me tell you, without faith in God, sooner or later we're going to be overwhelmed by our fears. And whenever our trust is in God, He enables us to face those challenges that come against us. Courage comes from knowing that God himself is is our shield. He says in Genesis chapter 15, remember this is Abraham. He says, fear not, Abram. I am thy shield and thy exceeding great reward. Aren't you glad that you can have the courage to face life? And let me tell you, I know a lot of you younger people here and boy, you're you're healthy. Some of you boys might be able to do a hundred push-ups. I mean, you can get out here and you can run and jump and throw, and yeah, you're just so healthy. One of these days, if the Lord doesn't come back and you keep living, one of these days, all of a sudden, it's going to be things start changing in your body. 
One of these days you won't be able to do the things you used to do. Oh, your mind. I remember several years ago back over to the other building, we had a softball team. And uh, so we were taking turns having batting practice, let someone, I don't know, hit 10 pitches or something like that. And so the rest of us out there in the outfield. And uh, someone hit a high fly ball out there. And uh, I thought, I can, I can get to that. I can probably really impress the guys making a, maybe one of those diving catches. And I start, my mind said I could. I've done it before all those years. I took off running as hard as I could. And all of a sudden, my feet was, how do you say, my feet was going faster than my body. So I fell face first right into the ground. And I realized right then, I can't do this anymore. Let me tell you, there's coming a time in your life right now you think, I, I don't need this courage you're talking about, but believe you me, the time will come. It might be a domestic issue. It might be a physical matter. It can be financial. It can be something. But there's something that's going to drive you to your knees and you'll need the courage to face whatever lies ahead. I sit and look out at the congregation as I do. I think about people. People that are in, in great need physically and otherwise. People that, and they'll never walk up to you and say, let me tell you how bad I've got it. Let me tell you how sick I am or whatever. But, but we've got folks that are sick beyond anything you ever even imagined. And I tell you, it takes courage to face that. Those that have to go down, you know, to the cancer clinic time after time. Is Jason back there? Jason Lee? Those that had, had to go get radiation. I mean, every, every week, you know, they got to go to a certain time. They're dependent upon that. takes courage to face things like that. How do you, how, because your mind will tell you this is overwhelming, I, I can't do it. When I stop and think about Bev and what she goes through in my mind, I, I think I, I, I couldn't do that. She's stronger than I am. I, I, here's a man who knows what it is to, to go through that. How do you get the courage to face that? How do you get the courage to face the fact that your life will never be the same because your husband or your wife leaves you, walks out the door, you're, you're done with you? How do you get the courage to face something like that? You lose your job and all of a sudden there's no income. How do you get the courage to face stuff like that? Because believe me, Satan's going to remind you of the situation you're in 24 hours a day if he can. He's not going to let up He's going to remind you of how bad you've got it. How do you get through it? We get through it. We get beyond it. With this shield of faith that enables us to trust in God for what we need. The fourth thing about this shield is that it produces obedience. 
You know, when we talk about faith, sometimes we just get the idea that we're talking about just simply intellectually believing something. That is, giving our intellectual assent to historical facts. Nobody here ever met George Washington, but we all believe he existed. We, we, we consider that historical facts. We, we believe that. And there is such a big difference between believing that Jesus is a real person. You know, a lot of these cults out here, they believe that. They even teach that. They talk about Jesus, how wonderful, how great he was. But they don't have a clue when it comes to his saving grace. I don't know anything about that. By the way, the Bible says the devil believes and he trembles. He, he knows exactly who Jesus is. And you might be here today and it might be that you say, well, I believe in Jesus. I believe that he was born of a virgin. You see, a lot of people don't believe that, but you do. You're ahead of them. They don't believe it. You've got that down. You believe that miracle. You believe that Jesus lived a sinless life. And how about all of those miracles he performed? Do you believe that? Sure. You believe he was crucified. You believe that, he, that he even arose from the grave. You, you believe that? Well, sure, I show up every Easter. I don't have any doubt about that. He, just like he said, he rose from the grave. You know that you can believe all of that and still die and go to hell? You say, well, preacher, I don't believe, you're, I don't believe that. Because after all, the Bible talks about believing on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. It does. But when it talks about believing on Him and us being saved as a result of that, it's speaking in the context of faith, trust, confidence that we're putting our confidence in Him. It's not just the intellectual descent of the mind. It's the acceptance of your heart that Jesus is who He said He was. He did what He said He would do. And He'll save you if you trust Him. It might be someone here is a, an engineer and you take them out here and you show them... Uh, maybe a footbridge across the gully somewhere. They can examine the kind of wood it's made out of and take some measurements and look at that. They come to the conclusion that that, that, would, that would hold a person. It's safe to walk across. But a big difference in believing that it's safe and actually walking across it. Believe me, I've walked across some bridges that, that I didn't know was going to hold me up. I mean, in the Ozarks, I, there's, there's some old rickety foot bridges that uh, you don't know if you're going to get across or not. It's an act of faith. You hold on to the cable on one side and do your best to get across. And, and I'm saying all of this to tell you that faith is something that is active. And whenever you put your faith in Christ, that is, you actually trust Him as your Lord and your Savior, it changes you. A lot of people could say, well, I believe all of the same things that you believe in regards to those doctrines. 
but I've never noticed any kind of change in my life. That's because you put your belief in something that you do not actually trust. It's like the old story of the guy, you know, walking across, I guess it's Niagara Falls or something on, on a tightrope, had a cable stretched across there and the wind across. No problem. Put something, some heavy weight on him. Went across, no problem. Crowds all cheering. So he asked one of them, he said, you, you believe I could walk across there with a man on my back? He said, yeah. He said, well, come on, get on. Oh, no, not me. Not me. Oh, I know you can, but I don't trust you. You know. Have you really trusted Christ as your Savior? I'm telling you, when you do, all of a sudden there are changes that begin to take place in your life. And I'm not talking about reformation. I'm not talking about you just by your own toughness saying, I'm going to quit this and I'm going to quit that. Well, good for you. You can make that resolution to quit, but understand this, that it's going to take the power of God to make it a reality. He's the only one that can enable us. He makes us a new creature, and it's Him working in us. But listen, that doesn't happen automatically as we conquer these different sins in our life. It happens step by step as we obey Him. Can you imagine being in the army and, or the Marines or whatever and saying, well, you know, I joined the Marines because I always wanted to be a Marine, but I, I just can't stand that sergeant. I, I, I'm, I'm not going to do what he says. Well, you're about to have a rude awakening. And some folks have that attitude, it seems like, toward God. I, I know what... Brother Kenneth, and you keep preaching this and that. We ought to do this and we ought to do that. I, I read it myself. I know, I know it's true, but I'm just not ready for that. Well, you better get ready. Because if you belong to God, you're fixing to get hurt if you don't get ready. And faith in God helps us to understand that, that obedience to God is not a bad thing. It's a good thing even when it's hard. Even when it's difficult, even when it's unpopular. You young people that just recently got saved, you're getting ready to go back to school. You let the other kids know that you've trusted Christ as your Savior. You're going to be living for Christ. Everyone, some of them laugh at you. Some of them ignore you. It's not going to be easy. You need the courage to stand up and to live for the Lord. That kind of faith that enables you to do what's right regardless of what anybody else is doing. You see, the one factor above everything else that really it gets down to, the, to faith, the faith factor is what makes all the difference in the world. And maybe you're here today and you say, Preacher, I know that I'm saved. I've been saved a long time. But my faith is just not what it ought to be. Well, you've taken a big step in admitting that because a lot of folks won't. They think they're fine where they are whenever their faith has been flagging for years and years and just not getting anywhere. So well, what do I do about that? I'm going to tell you. Get to know God. You say, what are you talking about? I already know God. I'm saved. 
I'm talking about get to know God in an intimate way. We have a series of messages that we teach on knowing God. There's a big difference in just knowing that God is your heavenly Father and having that fellowship with God, walking with God, working for God. You know, Jeremiah said over in, I think, chapter 23 where he talks about, don't let the mighty man boast in his might or the wealthy man in his might. If you're going to brag about anything, let him brag about this, that he here and understands and knows me, knows God. Amen. That's what really matters. And if your faith isn't what it ought to be, you can do something about it. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2, looking unto Jesus. Verse 3, consider him. Why? The end of that verse tells you, lest you faint. Whenever we get our mind, our eyes off of the Lord, and we live day after day without meditating upon the goodness and greatness of God, and taking things to Him in prayer and dealing with those issues, eventually, regardless of who you are, you're going to get discouraged, you're going to faint, you're going to quit, you're going to give up, you're going to throw in the towel. There'll be something, Satan will use something to get to you to ruin you. And the only way you'll get past it is for you to keep your eyes on Jesus because that builds your faith. One more thing, and I'm through. If you're here today and you've never received the Lord as your Savior, because maybe you reason, well, preacher, I'm I'm just one of those that I'm I just don't have faith in stuff like that. Something you can do about that. Romans 10:17 says, "Faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God." Right here. The Word of God will create within you faith. You already have faith in something. It's a, matter, it's a matter of you having faith in Jesus Christ being who He said He was, doing what He said He did. And it's a matter of you switching your faith this morning as it were, turning away from the things of this world. So I don't understand it all and believe it. Believe me, none of us do understand it all. You don't need to understand it all. God didn't un say, understand everything about me and you will be saved. He just said, trust me. Saved by grace through faith. Will you trust Him this morning? You say, well, I don't know what these people would think if I did. I'll tell you what they'd think. They'd think, hallelujah, glory to God. We're so happy. Amen. Amen. I mean, it would thrill everybody's heart to know that you trusted Christ as your Savior. And we're going to give you that opportunity this morning. We're all going to stand. Brother Myrick's coming, our musicians. Brother Kenneth is here. If there's, And you're here today, and God is speaking to your heart. We invite you to come. Receive the Lord as your Savior. Or if you're a Christian, and Satan's got the advantage of you some way, somehow... Why don't you come this morning and say, I'm sick and tired of this. I'm tired of losing. I'm tired of him getting the victory in my life. I want to be an overcomer. And I'm going to ask God to help me do that. Would you come while we sing?